Successful Farming and Corteva AgriScience present the seventh edition of the Farm School podcast. I'm Lori Boyer. Corteva provides cutting-edge solutions for farmers worldwide. Learn more at Corteva.com. So much is asked of today's farmers. You need to be business leaders, entrepreneurs, engineers, and surveyors of the soil. That's why Corteva partners with farmers gathering insights in the fields to enhance the innovations in the labs, creating agricultural and economic solutions for the current and future challenges farmers face. Because when you strive for better, you thrive together. Corteva, keep growing. Today's topic is reducing inputs without reducing yields and profit. And joining me for that conversation is my guest, Jay Brandt. He is a farmer in Fairfield County, Ohio. Jay, can you start off by giving us some background information on you and your farming operation? Yeah, Jay Brandt here, Brandt Family Farms, farm in central Ohio, Fairfield County, which is just southeast of Columbus, very centrally located, just on the edge of urban development. So we have all the joy of high traffic flow and things of that nature, along with our, our cropping system. So traditional grain operation, corn, soybeans, and wheat, we are a little unconventional that we do a lot of cover crops and do one third or attempt to do about a third of our crops in wheat. So we have a very strong uh, crop rotation on that. With my son taking over operations, it'll be like five generations in that operation. So we've been in the location for quite some time and hopefully going to continue into the future. Jay, in addition to wheat, what else do you grow? Corn, soybeans, and wheat. I'm not so about a third of our acres for each, as much as we can planning with field size and location. When it comes to cover crops on your operation, explain to me how you work them into your strategy. So with our, say, primary crop of or starting crop of corn, we would follow after corn harvest planting cereal rye, either with a grain drill or broadcast applied on the uh, residue. Follow that with soybeans in the spring. So our goal is to plant green as much as possible, terminate the cover crop after planting soybeans. Then we would rotate from soybeans into wheat. Wheat harvest would be early July, and then we would put in a cover crop or some amount of double crop soybeans before rotation to corn. Our preference, obviously, after wheat is to do a good cover crop blend, and that is a primary way that we're able to reduce synthetic inputs into our corn crop. Altogether, how many acres of no-till crops do you grow? This year, we're farming 1,000 acres. And then how are you choosing your cover crop mixes? Through our experience over the years for cover crop blends, we've kind of honed down into what works very well in our area and provides the type of response that we're looking for on that. So a lot of combinations in the past, starting from some very early work that my father did in the 80s and 90s, looking at single species and, you know, crop response in the following years, then looked at combinations in the early 2000s and then into larger blends, probably after 2010 area, and have really refined that into about a seven to nine way mix that seems to work best after wheat. And then for our late harvested crop opportunities, say after soybeans that we might rotate back to corn, it's a three or four way mix of winter hardy, small grains and clovers. Out of curiosity, Jay, then do you rotate cover crops like you would traditional crops? 
because we're not doing successive cover crops in there, we don't see as much of a need on that. If we do see a particular, say, deficiency in a field or a need for developing biomass, or we're going to introduce livestock by hiring some grazing done, then we'll change it up a little bit on that based on the challenges or opportunities that we have. Jay, how do you measure the success then of using these cover crops? So we look at two things primarily. So that would be weed suppression or weed management, you know, the following year, as well as then fertility response in the following crops. So whether we need to apply more and the crop health based on following those crops. Jay, you had mentioned synthetic fertilizers. Do you use any on your operation? We do uh, primarily for our corn crop. Corn, as we know, is generally has a higher nitrogen demand. So we will side dress uh, 28% UAN, part of our program. We also do some pre-emergence application where we know that the grounds are a little more difficult and need a little extra help. A lot depends on the field, weather that's going on at the time, and we're still optimizing that. If our cover crop isn't as successful in establishment of, say, crimson clover and hairy vetch, and we anticipate that we might need a little bit more fertility, we adjust our rates accordingly. So we do try to split apply so we get best utilization that way. And so that's why we're looking at some combination of an early dry application of maybe urea and AMS with a late side dress of UAN. Typically in our soybean crop, we have been using some in-furrow starter or pop-up, but we've gone away from that based on planter configurations. And then we do a moderate amount of uh, fertility for the wheat crop, not philonetum or high-intensity type from that input standpoint, more of a moderate based on yield projections type planning. Have you been able to cut back on the synthetic fertilizer use over the years? Most certainly, especially, you know, with the type of rotation, if we have very good establishment of legume cover crops after a wheat harvest, we can easily cut traditional fertilizer rates of applied nitrogen by a half to two thirds, depending on the weather. In droughty years, we see less of a need, so no different than we would see in conventional application. The increase in organic matter has also helped us reduce additional from that, and we see better utilization based on the ability of the soil to hold and mineralize that nitrogen for the plant. Have yields dropped at all because of your cutbacks? No, I don't believe that yields have dropped. We do see a pretty good crop response on that. I will admit that we're not trying to hit top yields. Our goal is mainly to look at return on inputs, you know, so the value of what we've put in based on cover crops and applied fertility. We do have a target yield based on that. And I would say we're hitting those yield goals with our reduced fertility plans. Jay, when it comes to herbicides, have you cut back on the use of those? Again, it's dependent on the success of the cover crop, especially going to soybeans. So if we do have a very good establishment of that winter rye, Going to soybeans, we do see quite a reduction in needing, say, multiple modes of action or even having to do anything beyond a burn down. And that alters. So I'd say we get into a late planting where we can roll crimp and use mechanical termination. Then we would only have to be concerned with a post application. 
or if we get where the ground is fit, prop isn't set for mechanical termination, there's a good chance that we can get away with just a burn down and without having to do any post application. So in those means, we're saving both on you know time, equipment costs, as well as the herbicide itself. Jay, has it been a gradual cutback then as you've incorporated more cover crops into your operations strategy? It has been for us. Our practice has been to adopt these practices slowly across our acreage. So, you know, we would pick a field or two and build up a program and work it in slowly that way. So, And what about fungicide use? We do not use any fungicide. Uh, we have done many trials in corn and soybeans and a few with wheat and really have never realized an economical benefit with their use in the past. And what about insecticides then? Typically, we do not use insecticides. Occasionally, we're not able to find a seed without some you know, seed treatment applied. But for the most part, we're trying to get the naked seed with soybeans and with corn. If we can get it just down to maybe some fungicide to for some early planting applications, we're definitely trying to stay away from that as much as possible. And in our small grains also, we would plant naked seed as well. Jay, you make an interesting point. I bet it's harder and harder to find naked seed. So it depends on your application. We found a couple vendors that will reserve a few varieties untreated, or they'll be able to manipulate the timing so that they could put on just say fungicide and no insecticide. For us and what we've looked at, the varieties of wheat and soybeans, we're able to find those with, say, the soybeans, especially with just the inoculant and no insecticide or fungicide applied. So there's some flexibility there and you do have to plan early in the season. Do you participate in any of the field trials with your local extension office or university at all? So we've got a very good relationship both with our local NRCS stormwater office as well as through Ohio State University. So we've done quite a bit of studies with different cover crop blends and timing of termination and fertility application, variable rates based on different cover crop blends. And that has helped us not only, you know, document these effects, but give us more confidence in the reliability of our system. It just seemed to me what you're doing on your farm would be something that they would want to monitor and something very educational for everyone. Do your neighbors incorporate any cover crops or do anything similar to what you're doing? Our farm does stand out being very green in the spring. Not too many farmers around use as much cover crop as we do. We have seen in, uh, I'd say, the last three to five years, some more adoption where they will apply, uh, say, winter rye across the field as opposed to just the erodible areas. So we are seeing some increase in adoption locally, uh, but we do see strong adoption here in the state of Ohio. Are you able to tell me what the overall cost savings of reduced inputs is, Jay? So if we look at our savings, on the farm using cover crops, it has helped us reduce herbicide and applied fertility in the amount of about fifty dollars to $80,000 a year. That is great, Jay. And I would imagine those cost savings go up every year. Yeah. And it's like I said, there's many factors that can impact that. We continue to see an increase in savings uh, as we increase the operation throughout the farm. And when you just said any factors, that just prompted me to think of a question. Have you experienced either drought or lots of rain, 
anything like that that other parts of the country have experienced that is making an impact on your farming operation? We do see small impacts of drought and you know heavy rainfall events. We really haven't had a significant drought here since 2012. That we really did see some really good response in uh, the cropping systems that we had in place at that point, where we were definitely able to maintain county average or better yields while most of our neighbors, you know, were suffering that 30 or 40 percent depression in yields. Yeah. So the heavy rainfall events, we have seen quite significant amount of that. Big advantage that we have there is the soil stability and the ability to, you know, tolerate those without significant amount of soil loss. So we're working quite extensively with Ohio State University. They've got some water flumes on our property because we have a creek that runs through there. So they're able to document compared to our neighbor, who's a more traditional no-till or uh, rotational tillage type practitioner, on looking at the surface flow as well as subsurface flow and the differences in our two systems. Jay, we have been talking about this throughout our discussion today, but I'm going to ask you directly, what are the major keys that have helped you to reduce inputs while sustaining profit? Right. The the major keys that are helping us sustain our yield goals and profitability while reducing inputs has been just the consistency in our no-till and cover cropping practice. So we feel that the addition of the small grains, wheat or rye, or barley, depending on what we're trying to grow that season. Having that long cover crop or fallow period to have that strong cover crop really has helped us from that. So we're utilizing, you know, the cost of that system. So there is some input cost from that, but we're looking at how that, again, provides better resiliency in our corn program the following year. So if we're looking at, you know, 50% reduction in applied fertility in the corn crop, with less disease pressure, that has some significant advantages. For us, we've seen a great decrease in uh, alpha toxin level in corn and yield loss from leaf disease. So those benefits alone have really increased our ability to either capture some additional market price through higher quality grains being sold into livestock feed, as well as maintaining yields. When you decided to start using no-till and cover crops in your operation, how long did it take before you really started to see benefits? Early on, we were able to see benefits within that next cropping year. And it may not have been fertility or cost reductions, but in the quality of the soil, you know, the soil improvement, the improvement in tilth, in plant health, in reduced erosion, those things are, were immediately apparent in that sense. And then as we got into further along, then we started to be able to document other areas. As we looked into what the fertility contribution was and got over our fear of reduction right through those inputs, then we were actually be able to realize the significant improvements in profitability. But how did you and how do you evaluate risk when you are deciding whether or not to use cover crops, no-till, or other sustainable farming methods? Right. So a lot of that comes down to management. So there's a little bit more management when we look at utilizing the cover crops, especially when we look at the winter hardy types, where now there's management or a little bit more management in the spring. So we look at crop planning and how we want to incorporate that and manage it in the system. And I think we're getting more experience and have more confidence in our ability to manage that system with some difference in the weather patterns 
we're looking at even fine tuning a little bit more and trying to plan our planting schedule around. So to fit into our system, we look at what is the cover crop development, where are we at in regards to is the field ready to plant, you know, is the soil moisture at the right place, is the uh, you know, weather conditions look favorable. So we pay real close attention to that and then decide how early we want to go in there, if we have a good stand or not a good stand. So all that kind of impacts where we want to be from that. So it has taken several years, probably the last decade, right, of working with different cover crop blends and looking at early and late termination, planting green and those things to develop our skill set. We always encourage when we talk to other people, you know, doing those types of trials so that that farmer can get familiar with how their soils and their crop system responds in those management situations. Jay, you said at the beginning of the interview that your son is farming with you. Will these no-till and cover crop systems be something that he continues to utilize on the farm in the years ahead? Very much so. My son, Christopher, you know, worked with my father, David, for four or five years, learning the system from him. And of course, you know, we're all different. So that's, again, why I think we're moving on in our own direction and management style as we learn and build on our experience. So he is uh, very keen on looking at these strategies of how to use cover crops for weed management, as well as to refine the needs for fertility management. So we've seen in some fields some challenges based on the types of practices that we're using. And so we're trying to reach into other areas to continue with our, our circle of influence here and get feedback on how we can utilize, you know, not only the cover crops, but different planting practices in our rotation to help improve that. Jay, talk to me about some goals that you and your son have for the farming operation from here on out. So if we look at our future goals for our farm operation, we're looking at, again, to continue to optimize our business model and our plan based on our crop rotation. And as I mentioned, you know, we're in more of a, our urban environment is growing around us. So we're looking at land management and how to utilize that land appropriately. So we continue to look at the utilization of cover crops and crop rotation, maybe introducing other crops that can improve the value based on the cropping rotation. My son's, you know, he's on some of the uh, precision aspects as we've added some different machinery to the equipment. So he's paying close attention to that. And I think the utilization of the data that we're getting now that we can coordinate more closely uh, harvest and planting data that we'll be able to optimize more closely and improve that relationship some more. And Jay, what are your thoughts on carbon credits? Is that something you're looking at at all? We're paying attention to the conversation with carbon credits right now. We're fortunate that we've been introduced to several people in you know, the food and fuel industry that are looking closely at that. And we know that there's a lot of pressure in the food area right now with scope three requirements and how they're looking at carbon credits to balance out those issues with the larger food manufacturers. As we look towards the renewable fuel side where they're using carbon intensity scoring, that system, to me, sounds more attractive as it would uh, flow more easily in the organization and isn't tied to continually changing practices. It seems to be more consistent in application and might provide a better return on the investment and work you're doing. So 
we have not yet participated in any of these programs, but we're trying to pay close attention to what that discussion is, to be engaged locally with folks here that are looking into that and somewhat on a national scale. So we're trying to keep a vision of how that fits. And that, I believe, will be part of our operations and many going forward because there does seem through, you know, the government entities and things of that nature, some big interest in those practices. Jay, thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. Jay Brandt has been my guest here today, and he is a farmer in Fairfield County, Ohio. Today's Farm School podcast has been brought to you by Corteva AgriScience, providing cutting-edge solutions for farmers worldwide. Learn more at Corteva.com. I'm Lori Boyer for Successful Farming.